Hey, I would like to, if you guys would just bear with me today, um, highlight one more thing for us. On the back table, uh, out there, I think, there, I didn't see it on this table, on the back table, and I've highlighted this before, we have this thing that says our name, Tula Springs Calvary Chapel, and it says, Watchmen on the Wall Prayer Guidelines. So we're encouraging everybody to take these home with you and, and to have these and use these in your um, prayer time. So what I'm going to try to do is what I call a guided prayer. And I don't know how well I'll do. I've done it once before. I think it went okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray through this. It'll take me about three or four minutes. Um, you guys can close your eyes and, and agree or just keep your eyes open however you want to do it as we go through this. But um, the reason why I want to do this is first just to cover and pray for these things. But also I want to kind of maybe encourage somebody in, in how to use these guidelines as a literal prayer guidelines for, um, for our opening prayer today. You guys cool with that? Well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyways. No, I'm just kidding. So you guys join me as we pray. Father, we ask that you would place a hedge of protection around our church property. We pray for God's financial provision over the church. We pray for the person who's praying over the offering. We pray for blessings over announcement time and video times. God, we ask for you to speak your perfect will to the hearts of the people in the areas of giving and tithing. Anoint the worship teams and soloists as they, as they head us to worship, lead us in worship. Prepare the hearts of God's people to be a church that sings to Jesus and worship him in spirit and in truth. Father, we pray that, um, that God would make us a church that connects with him personally and in all of our service. We ask for anointing over Pastor Chris with power to proclaim Jesus. God, we ask that you would allow us to always and only show them Jesus in everything we do in our services. We ask that you cause the hearts of the people, Lord Jesus, to be receptive and give the church a great harvest during the invitation time. And the Bible says that to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that works in us. And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself, Jesus said. Father, we pray for all the co-laborers in the prayer ministry and those on the ministry team. We ask for your blessing and presence over their time of prayer. For new prayer warriors to be raised up to fill each gap on the wall in our church. Lord, I pray for healing of physical, emotional, and spiritual illness within our body and our church. I pray for those who um, need jobs for the job list. God, I pray for your protection over our marriages, our families, for any single parents in our church, grandparents raising grandkids. We pray for any currently uh, weekly prayer requests that come in on the prayer cards. We pray, Lord, for um, Lord, fr family, friends, neighbors, and coworkers. We pray for the lost people in our lives, Lord Jesus, that don't know you. We ask, Father, that, that they would come to know you and that you would use us, Father, to, to lead them and to be a witness to them. God, we ask you for deliver, to deliver and set free those who are struggling with any addictions in our ministry. Lord, substance abuse, porn addictions, anything that's going on that's a bondage, Lord, we ask that you would set those folks free in our church and in our midst. Lord, we pray for our, for our children's ministry. We pray for the Sunday school director, Jackie, and for Lydia and Miss Sue and Janet. We pray for our nursery director, Ashley Gans. We pray for our curriculum staff, Emily and Ashley and Angie. Lord, we pray for our preschool through sixth grade students. We ask your blessing over them. God, we pray for your protection of our children. We pray for anointing, vision, love, great ideas, wonderful motivation for our teachers, substitutes, helpers, and staff. Father, we pray for God to raise up new teachers, substitutes, and helpers. Father, we pray that God would raise up leaders for children's worship team. 
for youth, we pray for our youth, 7th through 12th grade, and for our call and our vision of our church to raise up the next generation. We pray for youth pastor Jason and Allie, for Pat and Angie, and for all others who assist and uh, lead in the, in the youth ministry. We pray for the anointing, vision, and passion to reach young people. We pray for supernatural love and patience, an opportunity to be involved in raising up the next generation. Father, we pray for God to raise up new servants and leaders in our youth. Lord, we pray for um, the adults in our church, and we pray that they would have a love and a hunger for relationship with Jesus, to have a genuine love of reading and studying the word. We pray for the men of this church, God. We pray that you would raise up men in ministry, walking with the Lord for strength and courage to walk worthy of the call, to be spiritual leaders in their homes, leading their families in ways of the Lord, to lay aside the weights and the sins which so easily ensnare us and let us run our race with endurance that is set before us. Father, we lift up to you the women of this church, God. And Lord, we pray for your anointing upon uh, Lydia as she leads the women's Bible study, that the, that the women of the church would grow in their relationship with Jesus that they would be the employees, the wives, the mothers, the friends that God has called them to be, that God would raise up women in our church to serve him in the areas that he has gifted them. Lord, we pray for the counseling ministry that takes place in our church and that there would be breakthrough to God's freedom. And he who belongs to God hears what God says. And Father, we pray for the ushers, greeters, parking lot attendants, that everyone would be greeted with the most welcome, loving, encouraging group of people as they come through our front doors. We pray, Father, this church would be known as a church that, that, that's loving and friendly, that, that as folks show up, they would be made to feel welcome and loved by the ushers and greeters teams and everyone who's a member of this church. We pray for the ongoing training and encouraging leaders among our ushers, greeters, and parking lot attendants. God, we pray for them to have a gift of discernment and boldness to the ministry opportunities that go with that and the ministry that takes place in the family room, that God would bless our volunteers to be full of wisdom, love, and the Holy Spirit as they minister God. And Father, we pray for our missionaries that we're going to talk about on Wednesday night, God. We pray for Jeremy and Stacy Bear in Serbia, for Vlad and Saveta in, in the country of Georgia, Georgia, for Malawi, Africa, and Lord, for the new opportunities in Uganda and the South Sudan. Lord, we pray for our local missions and outreaches of our church. We do the 4th of July and the Harvest Bible Land that's coming up, God. We pray for protection over this dark holiday, Halloween, that... Um, Lord, is, is, can be demonic and, and, and can be a high holy day for the satanic church. And Lord, that you would protect us and that you would help us to be an alternative for that, God, and to be, have and shine the love and the light of Jesus to our community. And Lord, we pray for all those who are going to volunteer for the harvest and just ask your blessing over them. And Lord, we pray that the right amount of candy and supplies would come in and the sets and the, the actors and everything, Father, that we need, Lord Jesus, to, to minister to our community would come together. Lord, we pray for the welcome and invite cards, that they would be used for your glory to invite and welcome people to church. We pray for our board of, board of elders at this church, that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would lead the board, would guide them, and would direct them in all their decisions. And Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your patience. What do you guys think? Going to work? All right. So, hey, that I just read it. So I probably sounded like I knew how to pray, but... Um, 
All I did was read it. You guys can all do that. So I just want to encourage you in taking one of those when you leave today and spend time um, at least once a week going through that, praying that. There's a place there on the back where we encourage you to, to write down notes and anything you're praying for, people in your family, your personal prayer requests. You know, you have a, a mom, a sister, a friend, a neighbor that you're praying for, somebody that's sick. You know, just turn it over and start your, your personal prayer list on there. And, and kind of some practical things to, to get us praying, you know. Um, so I want to encourage you to do that. They always say that a, a good church figures out how to get its people to pray and then keeps them praying. So always encouraging us to be a church that prays. Amen? All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're ready for Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8. So what is Hebrews chapter 11? Somebody tell me. The Faith Hall of Fame. Okay, so we have uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call that in the Bible the love chapter. Okay, so the love boat. But here in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews is a chapter all on faith. And, and, it, and it talks about, and it goes through a list starting in the Garden of Eden all the way through the Old Testament of different acts of faith that God highlights and praises people. How would you like it if God called you in your life to some feat or some act of faith and because you were obedient and you stepped out in faith, God in the word recorded your name and your deed for the rest of the world to see, hey, I recognize this as, as a great act of faith among my people. So what an honor, again, for those in the Faith Hall of Fame to have their names and their deeds mentioned. Every one of the stories and every one of the mentions of, of these acts of faith through the book of Hebrews, we, we can find its parallel in the Old Testament and its story. So we're ready for verse number eight today. And as we kind of recap the first seven verses quickly, we studied two weeks ago. And we're going to spend a little bit of time, maybe this week and one more week before we finish Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 12 and 13 are just as good and powerful. Hebrews 11 is about faith. Hebrews chapter 12 is about hope. And Hebrews 13 is about love. And we get faith, hope, and love right here in these three chapters. But verse 1 through 3, two weeks ago, we talked about, and what Hebrews talks about is what faith is. And it says in verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith is substance. It is evidence. I, I heard somebody say, you know, recently again, that the, the whole concept of faith is to believe in something with no evidence, and that's crazy. That's outlandish, and I would never be a Christian and never do that. I would never have faith in something with no evidence. And we talked about that that's not the faith that we have. The faith that we have doesn't work the way the world labels it. It's completely different. And we can smile in the face of adversity because our faith is evidence. It's substance. It's real. And then we said what faith is and then what faith isn't. We don't have faith in faith. And we spent a lot of time talking about this idea. You know, your faith has power based on who you place your faith in. If I put faith in, in Rick to give me a million dollars, you guys can laugh with me. There's not much hope in that because of who my, my faith is in. But if I put my faith in Bill Gates to give me a million dollars, now I have a little better chance of getting a million dollars because he can afford it easily. When your faith is in a God who is the, the creator of the universe and your faith is in the power of what he has, our faith is in God. There's some really, really bad doctrine that I don't ever want you guys to fall prey to. And that is that if you just had enough faith that God would show up in your situation. 
And I preached against that. And I even called it sorcery and witchcraft. That, that you don't have faith in faith. And that it's not that you lack faith in your life to make miracles happen. That's not what faith is about. That our faith is in God. Our faith is substance and evidence. And then, and then in verse 4 through 7, we see um, first verses 1 through 3, what faith is. In verses 4 through 7, we see how faith applies to our lives, how faith is worked out. And this is where God begins through the writer of Hebrews to give examples of all the Old Testament saints. And we use the the W, and each one starts with a W. In verse 4, we see that Abel's faith through worship. And Abel brought a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, in the first act of bringing offerings and tithes to the Lord. And, and he sacrificed the lamb, and he worshiped the Lord. And we saw how Abel's faith worked through getting his life right with God. And in your faith and my faith, big aspect of, of walking in faith is getting your heart and life right with God on a regular basis, on a daily basis, um, confession of sins and repentance of sins and conversation with God should be a continue, continual conduit between you and the Lord. Sometimes we get this idea that, you know, maybe at night as we get into bed, we begin to, to, that's the only time that we confess or talk to God or try to get, you know, that day squared away with the Lord. But I would encourage you on a regular basis, on a daily basis, as you go through your day, if you have something, a struggle, a sin, a, a lapse, that you stop there and you talk to God and you say, God, forgive me. God, help me with this area. And that we constantly are getting things right. And we see this in the, in the sacrifice, in the life of Abel through worship, of, of his offering of worship and of getting right with God. And then we go to Enoch and we saw how his faith, we saw his faith through walking. And Enoch has a great testimony. He's the guy that says that was walking with God and he was not because God took him. He just was walking with the Lord and he got so close to God that one day they were just closer to heaven than they were to his house and God just took him home. We, the term walking, we understand, and maybe some of you are new and you don't understand, but if you look up the word to walk, what does it mean in the dictionary? One of the definitions is when a pitcher pitches the fourth ball, he's issued a walk to the batter. Well, that's not the kind of walk that we're interested in or looking for. It says to, to move at a, at a leisurely pace is the definition of walk. But this walk where Enoch walked with God, you and I understand that's a spiritual term that, that talks about what? Relationship. That Enoch had relationship with God. And, and relationship with somebody you love, a brother, a sister, a friend, a husband, a wife, it can be described as walking, walking together, walking life out. And Enoch just spent time with God in prayer and in life. And he, he walked with God right next to the Lord. So close to the Lord that, that God just loved that guy so much. He just said, man, I'm taking you home with me today. And Enoch becomes one of only two people in human history where the Bible records that they don't face a physical death. And Enoch is also a picture of, of the rapture of the church because after that the, the, the rest of them go through and the great flood of Noah's day happens where the whole world is wiped out. And before it comes, Enoch is raptured or taken out of the church. As we believe today, the bride of Christ is going to be raptured or taken out of the church before the, the seven-year tribulation comes. And then we see um, Noah and his faith through working. So we have worship, walking, working so far. And Noah's faith, faith worked literally by building a boat, serving God. It worked through obedience. 
And Noah has this amazing story of faith that God came and it required faith on Noah's part to believe that that he was supposed to build a boat, not anywhere near water where it had never rained on planet Earth. No rain. And and then boats weren't strange. The, the, The world at the time was using boats and traveling on water and on oceans with boats. The the strange part was that he was nowhere near water and there was no way to move this boat. And it took him 120 years to build it. And he preached and he told the world of, of God's coming judgment for 120 years and nobody believed him. And also, Noah becomes a picture of our day. Because today we preach a message that Jesus is coming back. And the Bible is very clear in the New Testament that Jesus will return. An angel speaking to the disciples in Acts chapter 2, they were standing and they were watching Jesus go up into heaven after the resurrection and he was visiting and he came back and he made himself known and the angels are watching Jesus go up into heaven. And the angel says to the disciples, why do you stand gazing? This same Jesus who you see today go up will come back. And the Bible's clear over and over again. Jesus said in John chapter 14, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and bring you to where I am, that there you may be also. And so Jesus is coming back, and we're preaching a very similar message of Noah, to be prepared and be ready for the return of Jesus. So we see Noah's faith, amazing faith and obedience, and now we get to the the next example we're going to cover today, verses 8 through 19, in the life of Abraham. And Abraham's faith worked through, we need a W word, went is a good one, I wrote down wandering, through the wandering of life, and Abraham wandered um, around as God called him in this very unique call, and we're going to talk about it, maybe you're familiar with the life and the story of Abraham, or maybe you're not, but we'll try to make you familiar with it today. Let's read first what it says here in Hebrews, and then let's just talk a little bit about Father Abraham. And then um, Lance, I'm going to ask Lance to stand up and demonstrate for us from Sunday School Father Abraham before we're done today. Um, no, I'm kidding. I won't call on you guys like that. Um, how many of you guys remember Father Abraham from Sunday School? A couple of you are all right. You're loud and proud. Father Abraham. Should we all try it? No? All right. Fine. You guys, you guys are dead today. Didn't Pat get up here and say you guys were dead? Even during worship, you guys are like, <laughs> is it too hot in here or what? Get some fans on. Yeah. Hey, so we're going to see um, uh, the life of Father Abraham. Look at what you will with me at verse number eight. And it says, by faith, somebody say, by faith. We'll get you woke up. Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Well, how do you go out if you don't know where you're going? He went out by what? By faith. And by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in the foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, with heirs of him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse number 10 is talking about what city? The new Jerusalem. Heaven. Heaven. It's a, it's a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's heaven. And in verse 11 it says, By faith his wife Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she 
and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him without Viagra, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable in the sand, which is by the seashore. So this is the beginning of the faith journey for Abraham. He was obeyed in verse number eight when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Now, number one, we again, Abraham is the father of faith. His greatest strength in life and, and, and the, was was a man of faith. The things that he did in faith set the bar and the example for you and I of how to live by faith. You want to live by faith, you want to step out in faith, you want to take steps of faith in your life, you can look at Abraham, and he's an inspiration, and he's somebody who, who did it before you, and God showed up and was faithful in his situation, was faithful in his circumstance, and that's a testimony, and, and God is literally saying to you through the life of Abraham, you can also step out in faith, and, and I can be trusted, and I will show up in your situation as I did in Abraham's situation. And every one of these stories of faith, it's of faith, as we study them, they all speak the same thing. God is telling you today, you can trust me. If God has called you to step out in areas of faith in your life, that God is going to step before you. He's going to go with you. That he can be trusted. If God is not calling you or called you to step out in areas of faith, then ask him, seek him. That God would call you, would ask you, would give you challenges in your life to step out in faith in. And something that God can then reward you for one day. Something that, that you can be proud of. Something that God can be proud of in your life as his child as you stepped out in faith in areas. And, and God has called and God has called these men and women and they so faithfully stepped out in faith. Now Abraham, he's the father of faith. You know what's interesting about Abraham? He's actually the father of three different major main faiths on on the world today the three largest religions in the world two of the anyways he's the father of of islam and and islam has faith and and abraham as their patriarch and a father he's a father of faith for for judaism and and he's a patriarch and a father of faith in judaism and also in christianity so in christianity and islam and and I'll, i'll believe in abraham as a patriarch and a father of faith the story changes for some what happens after Abraham along that line to the Muslims and, and they see it different. They don't see Abraham taking Isaac up onto Mount Moriah. They actually have in their writings that he took Esau up to Mount Moriah. Um, but they do believe and have Abraham as their faith. Now, the interesting thing is that when God called Abraham, there was no such thing as a Jew. There was no such thing as a Hebrew. He becomes the father of a nation and he becomes the first Hebrew, the first Jew, but not ethnically because he was a pagan from a place in south, what's today modern south Iraq, Mesopotamia, a place called Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham was a Gentile with a father who was a pagan priest. And God shows up to this kind of random guy named Abram in the Ur of Chaldees. And without a doubt, God had a call and saw something in his life there. God wanted to use this man and knew he could call him and use him. And he shows up somewhere, they say, probably near where, where Ur of the Chaldees was, where Abraham was from, that um, was near where the Garden of Eden would have been. Now, as God shows up, he calls him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. The thing to remember is the Ur of the Chaldees, this city, 
has been found and excavated. And this particular city of antiquities was, was, a, was a booming, thriving, populous city. It was one of the agricultural centers of the, of the, of the area in the known world. It, it, had, it had modern day irrigation. It, was, it had public um, buildings and public restrooms, schools and universities where um, language and math were two of the areas that they excelled in. They found in, in Ur of the Chaldees, um, what they didn't, what wasn't at the time, but later was, wasn't even invented until later. And then they found it already solved and done. But Pythagoras' theory was found in Ur of the Chaldees, the circumference and the, whatever Pythagoras' theory is, has something to do with the circumference of a triangle. <laughs> circumference? No. All right. <laughs> has to do with a triangle. And they also found math problems in Ur of the Chaldees that they sent to two major universities, Yale and Harvard, that they couldn't solve. So it was a very sophisticated city. It was a populous city. It was a modern city. It was a very pagan city. In, in Ur of the Chaldees, in the, in the ruins, is a ziggurat. And if you're not familiar with what a ziggurat, not a cigarette, a ziggurat, and a ziggurat is a temple or a place of worship. You remember in Genesis chapter 6 or after that, that um, Nimrod built the Tower of Babel. Now you see the Tower of Babel and usually it's kind of like oval shaped and lean into the side a little bit. But that's not what the Tower of Babel would have looked like at all. The real Tower of Babel would have been um, a ziggurat. It's almost the shape of a pyramid at the base and then more square as it goes up and doesn't come to a point, but it's a, it's, a, it's a different shape that they would build these temples in. And there was one there in Ur of the Chaldees. And so God shows up and he calls Abraham and he says, um, look with me if you will real quick. Let's take a look at the story in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was probably um, wealthy in Ur of the Chaldees. He probably was well-to-do with his wife, Sarah, Sarai. And in chapter 12 of Genesis, we, we see Abraham's story. And it says, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country from your family. So he called Abraham to leave his father and mother and brothers and sisters, as Jesus has called you and I to do, to leave mother, brother, father, sister for my name's sake. And will I not repay you a hundredfold in this life and the next, Jesus said. So God calls Abraham to get up and take this step of faith. Hebrews tells us that he didn't know where he was going, just to go. Get out of your country and from your town and from your house. Now, the interesting thing about, again, the story of Abraham is that he, he didn't know where he was going. God didn't tell him where he was going. So he just got up and he had to leave. And, and, and that's the way that God still leads you and I today. Do you know that? God doesn't give you every step, one at a time usually. He'll just, he'll just wait for you to be obedient. And, and, and Abraham's life is a picture of red lights and green lights. As, as God called Abraham to get up and go, Abraham began the journey well, and God was with him. And then you see this stall where Abraham stops being obedient to what it is God um, told him to do, and you just don't see God show up in his life. And it says, then Abraham was obedient and he did what God told him to do a way back. And then God shows up and begins to give him the next step. 
And unfortunately, in Abraham's life, there's a, there's a couple pauses in his life where you just don't see the presence of God. You don't see him building any temples. You don't, I mean, you don't see him building any altars and worshiping the Lord. You don't see him, um, God giving him direction. And God oftentimes just gives you one piece at a time. You know, and really the reason is it's a matter of faith. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of, um, of relationship, as it always is. Imagine Jesus got in your car when you leave church today, just you and Jesus. And he sat in the passenger seat, and he, he wanted to call you to step out in faith and to go. And so he said, I want, I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you, and, and, and I just want you to drive. But he wouldn't tell you where he's going or the next step. He'd just say, go out on Main Street and head north. Okay, you can figure that out. And then as you get to each stoplight along Main Street, you're looking in the passenger seat and you're like, do I turn right? Do I turn left? Do I go straight? And he says, keep going straight. Keep going right. Do this. And as you get to a stop sign, he's directing you and you're, you're being relational with him. But what if he got in the car out here in the parking lot and he said, hey, let's go to the Maverick Center. You could put him in a trunk now because you, you, don't, you, could, you don't need him to, to tell you how to get there. You just drive to the Maverick Center. And you, all the lefts and all the rights and all the turns through life to get to where you need to go. And so Jesus doesn't always give us the final destination. The other problem is, do you remember the disciples? Of course, right? At one point, Jesus told the disciples, I have many things to tell you, but you're not yet ready to handle them. And so maybe in your life, had God told Peter everything that he was going to face on day one, it might have scared Peter away from following the Lord. It might have scared Peter away from the things that he was going to face and have to walk with the Lord. And so God didn't tell him all the things until he was ready, until, until God was, could build some character in his heart and his life and prepare him for this. And it was also, it continues to be, listen to this, a step of faith and a journey of faith if we, if we follow God this way. Amen? And so God has this amazing relationship with, with Abraham that requires him to stay in the passenger seat and not in the trunk. And every step of the way, Abraham needs God to guide and lead him. And God wants to do that in your life and for you. But he waits for steps of obedience. And then look what it says in verse number 2. It says, we're still in Genesis 12. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. Now, this is a pullout, parentheses here, parenthetically, but I want you to know something about verse 3 of Genesis 12. I want you to highlight it, to underline it. You can memorize it. I will, it's really simple. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. This is a promise to God, from God, to Abraham of the Jew and the Jewish nation. It's a promise that, that 5,000 years later, God has not rescinded. It's valid in your life and in my life. That, that God will bless those who bless Israel and God will curse those who curse Israel. God will bless those who bless the Jews and God will curse those who curse the Jews. This is what the word of God says. And it's never been rescinded. And you can watch it. It's a fascinating study. You watch any nation, any country that has turned their back on Israel and you see the demise and the trouble that country will face in the years following. It happened to Great Britain. It happened to Spain. And on and on and on. Do you know all of the enemies of Israel since, since the Garden of Eden are no longer, but Israel still remains? Have you met an Amalekite lately? 
Have you met a Philistine lately? The Babylonians, the Syrians, the Assyrians, over the, you know, the Amalekites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the termites, the flashlights, all the ites are gone, but the nation of Israel remains. It's obscure nation that, that started with Abraham and all civilizations have. It's not strange that civilizations have come and gone through human history, but the Jew has never, never gone anywhere. It's, it's, it's one of the major proofs that the Bible is true. How do you know the Bible is true? Well, one of the greatest proofs that the Bible is true is the Jew. It's Israel. And the fact that they've survived what they've survived when 40, 50, 60 other civilizations and nations have, have, have crumbled under, under any lesser circumstances. But here again is a promise that you can take at face value. This is a promise that God will bless those that bless Israel and God will curse those that curse Israel. And, and again, that's never been rescinded. And then in verse number four, it says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot and went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Okay, now there's a little discrepancy. There's a little problem here. Okay, first of all, who does he take with him in uh, verse number four? Lot. Lot is his nephew. Um and, and it doesn't say there, but it took, he took his father as well. But didn't the Lord say in verse number 12 to get away from your family? He was supposed to get away from his family. Instead, he took them with him, a little lapse of faith there or disobedience. And then God called him. When God called him in beginning of verse 12, he was in where he grew up, a place called the Ur of the Chaldees. And now he's 75 years old, and he just now is departing from Haran. So, so in the real narrative, God calls him at, at like 50 years old in Ur of the Chaldees to begin to make his way to Canaan. And, and because of a stumble of Abraham's faith, he takes his father and his brother, and, and it probably inhibits his, his obedience. And he ends up in a place called Haran where he's not supposed to be. And he just sits there for 25 years, and God doesn't show up. God doesn't give him any instruction. God is waiting for what in Abraham's life? For him to be obedient to the thing God has already told him to do. And and you know what? Sometimes in your life, you're saying, what does God want for me? Or what is God's will for my life? And the truth is that God has already told you what his will is. And he's just waiting on you to obey it. He's just waiting for you to step out in faith and be obedient to what it is he's already told you to do. And you know what we do when God speaks to us and we don't necessarily like the answer? We just keep asking and act like we didn't hear it. Oh, Lord, what is your will? I already told you. No, I didn't like that one. Lord, I just wish I knew your will. And, and, and we're, we're, a little, we're disobedient in trying to find what the will of God is for our lives. And, and you know what? He's not going to. If you're not willing to be obedient to A, this is simple, I think, right? Math. If, or is this science? No, I'm just kidding. It, it, if you're not willing to be obedient to A, is God going to give you B and C? And D and E and F, I do know the alphabet. No, he's waiting for you to be obedient to what he's already told you. And that's what happened in Abraham's life. Abraham was given A. And he he didn't obey right away. He went to Haran and wasted 25 years. And, and And then when he got up and he left Haran like God originally told him to do 25 years ago, look at verse 7. What does verse 7 say? What? What happened in verse 7? You guys have your Bibles? So important to have your Bible open on your lap so you can catch this stuff. 
Then the Lord did what? Appeared. When did the Lord appear? After Abraham got through the red light of faith and obedience. And he waited. And that's when God starts to appear in his life. You know when God's going to appear in your life? When you leave Haran. When you do the thing that God has already told you to do. Amen? You know, I had someone ask me along these lines. Like, um, well, Pastor Chris, are you saying that like, I'm supposed to step out or do something when he said, I've been seeking the Lord and asking for God's will. And I don't feel like I have a clear answer. That's not what I'm talking about, guys. Okay, that's a different situation. The Bible says to wait on the Lord. If I don't feel like I have a clear answer, then I don't do anything. I don't step out. I wait and I keep seeking. I keep knocking. I keep asking because the process of knocking, asking, seeking God, it's relational. God designed you and I that way so that he doesn't just give you everything right away so that you need him to stay in the passenger seat, continue to ask him, continue to seek his will. And knowing, especially in big decisions of your life, job changes, relationships, big purchases, if if, if God's will is in it or not, it's not always super clear. I'm sorry. And I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. It does get, I do believe it gets clearer the longer you walk with the Lord, but it never, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, it never just becomes the point where it's like, you just know always what God's will is. It's a process. And so if you don't know what the Lord's will is in a situation and you're not lying to yourself, you know what I mean by that? I mean, like, you're just, you really honestly don't know. It's not one of those situations where God has already told you, you just didn't like the answer, so you keep asking. Not, Not that situation. But you honestly are just wanting to know what God's will is for your life. And here's what the promise is. When people ask me this, I can honestly say, listen, if you truly desire God's perfect will in your life, you can't miss it. You won't miss it. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your path. He shall. So if you've done that, You know, sometimes in my life, I've been literally seeking God for direction and seeking God for an answer. And and I got to the point where I had to, because of the worldly circumstances in the situation, I had to make a decision and I still didn't know what what God was telling me. And I, I had been diligent in seeking him. I was honest with myself. I wanted the answer. I wasn't ignoring a bad or an answer I thought was bad or I didn't like. And I had to make a decision. So I made the best decision I could with all the information and the prayer and the time that I had at the time. And guess what? I believe. I believe in that moment, I will never miss the will of God. Why? How? You mean you can't? I believe after I've done Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, if God's word is true and I've sought him with my whole heart and and I've acknowledged him in all my ways, I've not leaned on my own understanding, tried to step out in faith, and I've done my diligence And I had to make a decision that God's word is true. That means he's going to direct my path and I'm not going to miss his will. And and so we won't. And and, and in that you can't miss. But then the Lord appears. And so for some of you in the other side of that coin. God has already spoken to you. You know, a good question that that, you know, to ask to ask yourself or for me to ask and you to answer. You guys ready? Ready? You looking at me? What has God told you? What has God told you in your life? Are you thinking of something now, maybe, that God has spoken to you? 
You know, and think of those things and be obedient to that and, and listen to that and, and, and what it is that God has spoken to you or told you in your life. So um, it says in the rest of 12, it says the Lord appeared and then Abraham built an altar, verse 7, and then in verse 8 in the bottom, he built another altar. So whenever you see that phrase, that term in the Bible, um, build an altar, it just means that the person is, is relationally and walking in a good place in their life. To build an altar means that he put God first. You know, the altar was literally an altar. They would make it out of rocks. It wasn't supposed to be ornate. They would offer um, sacrifices on it. They would pray. They would spend time with God there. It was a connection they had with God. And so when you see of the patriarchs in the Old Testament people, that phrase, he built an altar, it's God's way of saying that Abraham spiritually was doing well. Spiritually and relationally, he was close to God. When you see the lack of that phrase in the Old Testament writings, then, then it's, it's oftentimes intentionally left out to, to say that the person was not doing well or walking closely with the Lord. Now, if we go back to Hebrews, you know, you know the thing about God is, is his mercy and his grace is so abundant. You know, the, 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 when, you, when you look at Hebrews, and if you just read the account in Hebrews, you would think, man, Abraham was such a stand-up guy. God called him, and he went, and he had no lapses of faith. Man, no wonder why Abraham is the father of three different faiths. But do you know where Abraham fell in his life as a, as a, as a follower of God, where he struggled, was in areas of faith? What? Wasn't that his strength? Yeah. It was his greatest strength, and it was also his greatest weakness. And that is consistent throughout the Bible. You see that with a lot of characters in the Bible. You see that in Peter's life. Peter's greatest strength was also his greatest weakness. Joshua, who was a, a mighty warrior in the Bible, he's somebody who he went, him and, and, and Caleb and ten other spies, and they went to Canaan, and they saw men that were between eight and twelve, literally twelve feet tall, giants, literal giants, and they came back. And Joshua said, man, we could take them. We could take them, Moses. Let's go. Yeah, the other guy said, we're like grasshoppers, literally in their sight. They brought back grapes, one grape that was like this big that was growing in the land. But Joshua was like, man, let's go. We can do this. He was courageous. He was a man without fear. Do you know where Joshua fell in his life, where he struggled? Was he in other battles, in other places? He was very afraid with much lesser opponents. And it's recorded in Joshua, uh, I think in chapter 7 or 8, where he, he's getting ready to go into, God calls him to go up to battle. And it says that before he went, he would get away and, and he got alone with the Lord and, and he began to pray. And what he was saying was, God, I'm afraid. I'm so afraid. I can't go, Lord. I just can't, my feet won't move. But again, it's just an example of, you know, where were the strongest. Sometimes that's the area. And we see that in the Bible where men fail. Abraham was a great man of faith fell in areas of faith. He got to Canaan, eventually obeyed and got to Canaan, and there was a famine in the land. And Abraham, who came from Ur of the Chaldees, this agricultural metropolis and and thriving city with education and school, and he had probably never experienced a famine in his life. He was well-to-do. Maybe he was like that Queen of England at some point in his life. And they said, Abraham, there's a famine in the land. And he said, what's a famine? And they said, well, we don't have enough. And he said, what does that mean, not enough? He said, well, we don't have enough bread. And Abraham said, well, then feed him cake. You guys know the story? No. So Abraham didn't experience that. So when the famine happened, what what a man of faith would have done was stayed right there in Canaan 
And, and he would have um, trusted God to provide. Is that what Abraham did? No, instead he got afraid and he lacked faith. And so he went down to Egypt where they had a bunch of provisions. And on his way down to Egypt, when he got there, he told Sarah, hey, when we get there, tell him you're my sister. Which was a half truth because he married his half sister. But a half truth is a 100% lie. And it's a lack of faith. Now, the Egyptians, they didn't believe in adultery, but they had no problem with murder. So Abraham was sure that if it says that Sarah, she was 60 years old. She was such a babe at 60 years old that Abraham knew they, they would want to take her as, as, um, as their bride and into their harem. So he said, tell them you're my sister, because if they, if they know I'm your husband, they're going to kill me so that they can take you. So they go down in this lapse of faith, and Sarah does. Twice in their testimony, Abraham and Sarah end up in, G- in Egypt where Sarah's hiding, uh, Abraham's hiding behind his wife, Sarah, telling her to lie for him. And, and so we see these, these lapses of faith in Abraham's life. Now, um, in Hebrews chapter 12, guess what? None of that is recorded, right? Only the good stuff. Do you know what God's going to remember about you? Only the good stuff. That's God's memory. It's a selective memory. He chose to remember it. Of all the men in the great hall of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11, do you know how many times God records something they did that was boneheaded or a lack of faith or a struggle? Not one time. God only records their successes. And I really believe that about your life. You know, the Bible says that God is going to put your sins as far as the east is from the west. That God's going to take your sins and throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. He says that he wants you to drive your car of life out the windshield, never looking in the rearview mirror because he's already forgot what's behind you. That you press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That, that you, you focus on the positive and the good things in your life. Then you want to continue to make steps and ventures of faith. And he's going to forget them. And one day when you stand before God and he's giving you your personal Hebrews chapter 11 hall of faith moments, he's not going to recount to you any of your failures. He's going to remember your successes, just like he did here in Hebrews chapter 11. And then it says, um, one more verse and then we're done. We're going to um, go ahead and invite the worship team up now uh, while I finish this last verse or two. And it says, um, what part do we want to catch at the end here? Let's look at verse number 10. It says, for he waited, we're back in Hebrews, you guys, eleven ten. It says, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then it says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who promised. Again, in Sarah's life, if all we knew about the story was that Sarah believed God and judged him faithful, we wouldn't remember because God didn't record. But if you go back in Genesis 18 and you read the story, when when God told Sarah she was going to have a baby past the age of childbearing, she laughed. She didn't laugh out loud. She laughed in her heart. Don't judge her because you guys do the same thing. God's word promises certain things to you and in your heart you say, oh, no way. Is that going to happen? All things work together for good to those who love God and called according to his purposes. No, not in my life. And we laugh in our heart. And then it says that Abraham went out. Now, listen, here's the fascinating thing, fascinating thing about the testimony and the story of Father Abraham as we close up with this. It says that he went out looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Remember that about Abraham. 
God told him, I want you to go. And I'm not going to tell you where to go, but just go. And so Abraham in his mind is looking for a city. But he's not looking for an earthly city. Canaan was his destination, the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan is where modern-day Israel is today. That would be the promised land that God would give to, to Moses and the, and the 12 tribes of Israel that they dwell in to this day. But it says that he went out looking for a city who has a, build, who has a builder and foundations that were made by God, not by men. That's only one city that has, has that description, and that's heaven. That Abraham understood that his destination was heaven. Abraham goes down in history as a, as a sojourner and a stranger and a foreigner, right? Because he was, he was looking for a city. He was not in his home. He was headed home. Abraham never in the promised land where Moses and the 12 tribes and Moses, or Noah, I'm sorry, Abraham had every right to own land and, and big purchases. And he was the guy. He didn't own anything in the promised land. Abraham never once. He bought one little piece of property place called Machpella where he, he buried his wife Sarah. It's there in Hebron. It's still there to this day, the body of Abraham and Sarah. Because he was looking for a city that was heaven. Now, how does that translate to, to us today as we, as we do our last close? The plane is coming to a landing. You can actually close your Bible. The, the way it translates is the things that are going to bring you joy in life, listen, you're not going to find them here on earth. They're in heaven. And the faster we understand what Abraham understood and Abraham's desire was, was heavenly, he just understood that he was sojourning, desiring the time that he would get to, to this city that God made that was heaven. And sometimes I think if in our lives we set ourselves up and we believe that if this relationship would just work out, if I would just get this, when we get this house, when we get this house done, when I get this new car, when, when I get my kid figured out in this situation, then that will bring me joy. And every time after time after time, if it does bring you joy, you figure out it's only temporal and it didn't do in your heart what you had hoped or thought it would do. Because the thing that you're really longing for is to be home with Jesus in heaven. It is an eternal home, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, where Jesus is. And that if we keep our focus and our, and our thoughts and our mind on heaven and on Jesus and on those things, not to say there's not work to do here. And I, I totally disagree. And I hear people say, I heard someone tell me this recently, and I love it because it just was, was fire for the sermon. And he said to me, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Common saying. And I couldn't disagree more. You cannot be any earthly good until you're heavenly minded. And if your mind is really set on things above, then God can use you in great ways here on the earth. And God can do big things in your life. And just know, and we'll be a better off people, understanding and knowing that the things that you need in your life for joy and for success, they, they're not here on the earth. They're in heaven. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord. Hey, we'll be up front to pray for you. We encourage you, if anybody would like individual prayer to, to come up and pray. If anybody in here would like to um, ask Jesus in their heart, maybe you came today and the Holy Spirit's been calling you and drawing you and you're not sure if you're going to heaven. You're not sure if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. It's an invitation. They asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, what is it to do the work of God? And Jesus said, the work of God is to believe on him whom he sent, to believe in Jesus. 
And we see over and over again where the Bible says to believe in Romans 10, 9, and 10. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. If we're in an airplane, and and the airplane is, is going down, and everybody on the plane is going to die. And if you're sitting on that plane and there's a heathen, there's a non-believer, there's somebody next to you, you realize that, that what we believe as, as simple Bible truth is the only thing that could save the person next to you. Any other religion, any other religious system, there, there's a process of going through to get saved and become a Christian that by the time the plane hit the ground, you'd never be able to accomplish and you'd be in bad shape. But if we believe simply what the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10 and other places, that it's a matter of placing your faith and your trust in Jesus, and we could be on the, on the plane leading all kinds of people to Jesus that would be going to heaven, literally, by the time that plane hit the ground, if they put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, it is that simple. Salvation is that simple. The rest of it gets complicated. But becoming a Christian and making sure that you're going to heaven is that simple. That's where it starts. So I want to encourage you. If you're not sure today, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you pray this prayer out, out loud and, and you mean it in your heart, you will be saved today. Amen? I ask that the, let's close our eyes and bow our head. And I ask that the whole church family just pray with me out loud. And, um, and, and then if, if you're in here today and maybe you're praying this prayer for the first time or you're praying it to mean it, then, then God knows. God knows your heart. You pray it to him. And God, God will absolutely save you today. So let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be a Christian. I know I need a Savior. I believe in my heart that you died on a cross and rose again the third day and ever live to make intercession for me. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And I ask you into my heart. I give you my life. I fully surrender my heart and life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, we have one closing song. If you prayed that prayer today, we want to know about it. Come up and uh, let one of the leaders know that you prayed that prayer today. And if you have a sickness, an illness, an addiction, anything that you would like prayer for today, we invite you guys to come up for individual prayer as we sing this last song. God bless you guys. Have a great week.